Hey everyone, this is the Mr. Mike Agostino, and the views expressed on this show are mine and mine alone. I do not have any affiliation with Sport Lisboa Benfica. I do not represent Sport Lisboa Benfica. I do not represent any Casas do Benfica, any supporters group, any other type of organization officially um, established within um, Sport Lisboa Benfica. These views are completely mine. They are 100% unsanctioned and 100% independent. Enjoy the show. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 8 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustino, and welcome to the show this week. I know it's been a little bit of a somber uh, last couple of days for us Benfiquistas. Um, Unless you haven't followed the team at all this week, you're well aware of the two results we had. Um, Two very tough matches to very um, exhausting, stressful, uh, you name it, uh, just two, two matches that, you, that really tear the soul out of a fan, um, and I'm just gonna get right into it today, guys, it's good, I'm gonna start this off with a rant, I'm not, I'm not gonna play around, alright, um, just to let you know that sound you're hearing in the background. This week, you're with me on my commute. You're riding shotgun with me as I am going between jobs right now. It's Friday. It's it's early morning. It's not Friday night. Um, I have a conference tomorrow, so I won't be able to record until 2 a.m. tonight. So I'm starting the podcast early today on my morning commute. Um, and that is why you're hearing the sound of, of vehicles or the occasional uh, horn tooting or engine revving. That's why you're hearing it in the background, okay? And I'm going to get right into it, okay? The very first thing I need to make 100% crystal clear today, okay? Before I get into my rant, make no mistake about this, okay? Benfica did not lose... Wednesday, nor were they eliminated from this round of the Portuguese Cup because of the referee, okay? There's plenty to say about the referee. There's plenty to criticize. But before I go off on that, because I'm going to be freestyling this this rant this week for you guys. I'm not, this, there's no paper, there's no notes, I'm not reading anything, okay? I'm going to just go straight at it freestyle, okay, but before I do that, 
I want all the Befikishas and the Antis alike to understand one thing. Our elimination from the Portuguese Cup from the Taça de Portugal was not because of the referee. We were eliminated because of inefficiencies in attack, okay? Lack of uh, finishing in front of goal, specifically in the first leg. Okay, we did not put this team away when they were down, when they were not playing well. 55 days before this second leg, we had a chance to end this thing. We did not do that, and we let one player, one player beat us, okay? Make no mistake about that. We were beat by one player. That team has nothing without him. Yeah, they got some nice players, but they they have absolutely zero danger without Bruno Fernandes. We should have had a much better focus on him in that second leg. He was allowed to do too much. He was allowed to be free. He was allowed to be creative, okay? And we made mistakes, and he made us pay for it. And as a result, Sporting are going to the Jamur to play against their lovebirds, Football Club do Porto, those two little, you know, their lovebirds, they're going to go in hand-in-hand to that final and have a huge love fest where they'll be chanting together, kind of salte, lampion, whatever. They can chant that all they want, okay? The fact of the matter is this one is on our team, okay? With that said, I will break down the match later. Okay, in the show, and when we get to that segment. But I need to rant first. Okay, this is not the time for fans to be turning on this team, okay? Befikishas, this is not the time to be turning on this team. This is not the time to be criticizing, okay? Did the manager get some decisions wrong? Maybe, Okay, we don't know why he made the decisions he did. We don't know why Svilar was started instead of Odi. Okay, we can assume. And did he get it wrong? Perhaps did we lose because of Svilar? No, I don't believe so. Okay, we all we needed was to get a goal in that game, and that team was dead. That stadium would have been emptied. Okay, maybe he got some decisions wrong. You know, it's it's fair enough to say. However. This manager has gotten everything spot on since he came on board, okay? There's no reason to think that he doesn't know what he's doing. There's, a, I'm sure there's a reason he put out the team he did. There must have been a reason Ferru did not start, okay? Jardel needs minutes, whatever. This was not lost because of any of those decisions. This came completely down to execution or lack thereof in front of goal. We should have put this tie away in the first leg when we had them on the ropes. Sporting are a much improved team now compared to what they were back on February the 8th or the 9th, whenever it was that we played against them in the first leg. However, there's a concerted effort going on by our rivals, both of them, by referees, by people in the Federation, by just antis in general to destabilize this team and it's in the media it's everywhere and it looks like it's starting to work these players are visibly affected by the pressure that they're now playing on every time Porto is given a gift of a penalty kick that they did not earn every time 
their players are warned instead of booked. Every time. Our goals are being reviewed by VAR. Regardless if there's a reason or not. These things are starting to set into the minds of the Benfica players. Sunday alone, a week ago, or Saturday I should say, we had to score three times. We had to put the ball in the net three times for one of them to count. And on that occasion, you know that the the reversals were correct. I do I do acknowledge that. However, our rivals, they don't get reviewed. They're... They get a penalty kick that's an absolute garbage call by a referee that has been doing this for a long time. George Souza has been doing this for a long time. Okay, there is no penalty against Edder Milito. He sticks his leg out, initiates the contact, and then they're going to say that it's not eligible to be reviewed by VAR? What the hell is eligible to be reviewed by VAR? Just Benfica goals? This league and this federation is so bad... This, this, their competitions are a joke. They're an absolute joke. Their referees are a joke. Hugo Miguel goes and puts a performance like that. He shouldn't be allowed to referee another match for years. Not little kids. Not not seniors. Not not professionals. Not anybody. To allow the constant hacking. To allow aggressive tackling that is downright dirty. Okay. And then to send a player, to give a player a second yellow for a sarcastic clap? To book Joao Felix for a play that's not even a foul on the very first contact he makes with another player? Yet to allow Bruno Gaspar to stay on the field and to keep heading, keep hacking? Portuguese football is a disgrace! It's an absolute disgrace! And you cannot say that the cards are not stacked in the favor of certain teams. And you cannot say they are not stacked against us. No objective person can watch this season unfold. Especially in the last two months. With the way the games have been refereed. And not say that something is gravely wrong here. It's no surprise that these Portuguese referees don't do the Champions League. You won't see them at the Euro 2020 last next year. You didn't see him in Russia at the World Cup last year, only operating the booth and VAR at the kids' table, essentially, watching videos. And they can't even do that right. I don't mean to be yelling, but, you know, this is, this is, enough is enough. This show's not about referees, but it can't be ignored anymore. And then, you got fan bases on the other side celebrating this garbage. They're proud. They're proud to win with two garbage penalty kicks. They're proud to play 84 minutes against 10 guys for no reason the week before. They're proud that a player is sent off after the game's over for clapping his hands. Meanwhile, their players are putting their hands on referees. Bruno Fernandes had his hands on the referee multiple times. Acuna had his hands on the referee multiple times, the assistant referee. The AR's hands were nowhere near his throat. He had his hand on his chest, pushing them back because he was invading the referee's personal space. They're in their face. They're talking. They're surrounding the referee at every call. There is absolutely no recourse for that, but a player claps his hands after he's been taunted. 
and the referee, knowing he's booked, gives a second booking, knowing exactly what he's doing and taking him out of that next match. Don't tell me that there isn't something going on, okay? You got that idiot up north, Francisco Marx, tweeting garbage week after week, okay? Trolling Benfica fans and players, trolling referees. You got the other idiot across the street from us there, Verandas, with all his nonsense that he's saying, okay? And when we finally respond, we're the ones putting undue pressure on referees. Man, this, this league is a joke. Portuguese football is a joke. That federation is a joke. And I can see why Benfica fans boycott the national team and don't support the national team. Because that national team represents a federation that deserves to be boycotted, that deserves to be protested, that deserves to not be supported. This has been the dirtiest season in Portuguese football in a long time. You guys want to call us Chorões? Go ahead. Call us what you want. The fact of the matter is these two fan bases are, are working together. The, the, they're sitting there rooting for each other like, like, like lovebirds. Okay? You, think, you really think that last game of the season Porto's not going to have Sporting lay down dead for them in the last round? This is why we have to win all seven games. Sporting are going to lay dead in that last game. And as in repayment a week later, Sporting's going to win the cup. You can mark my words right now. This isn't hard to figure out. This is not hard to figure out. Unless Benfica win the league, Sporting is winning the cup. Porto will not take it from them. These two teams have been doing this every season. They're more and more in cahoots with each other. It's an absolute embarrassment what goes on in Portuguese football. Okay, and that is why Benfica can't maior que Portugal. Benfica is bigger than all of this nonsense. They're bigger than this country. They're bigger than that federation. Okay, and now more than ever, Benficaistas, we got to get behind this team 100% starting Sunday in Santa Maria da Feira. Sunday, Santa Maria da Feira, that stadium needs to be loud. Those Benficaistas need to be screaming, yelling. Backing their team 100%, okay? We're behind them. We need to be behind them. Let's stop with the infighting. Let's stop with the criticizing, okay? Constructive criticism is good, but we're in the final stretch of the season now. It's about supporting the players that are on the pitch, okay? Not complaining about who's not. And willing this team forward to seven victories. But we can't look at it at seven. It's one. This game Sunday is the most important game of the season. Make no mistake about it. This is the most important game of the season because if we don't win, the others don't matter. Okay? That's my rant. This is not my style, but I've been keeping this in for three days. I've stayed off social media, keeping this in, keeping it organic, keeping it natural because I wanted to express this on this platform. Okay? Stay right there. We got Reconquista coming up and then the news and then we'll get into the Tondela game. This is Mr. Benfica. Sofrida a glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida 
Na reconquista do que é nosso por direito Que não fico por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Até que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Do que é nosso por direito Que eu não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve nossas almas Querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz and it is now time for this week's news, everybody. Thank you for bearing with me through that rant. Uh, that was recorded earlier today, oddly enough, before, before Porto got another ridiculous penalty kick awarded to them in their match today, as I'm being made aware of. But you know what? I'm not even watching their games. I'm not following their games. I've penciled Porto in for seven wins for the rest of the season. I'm not. I'm not losing any more of my uh, sanity, <laughs> believing in that there's going to be anything but, uh, but a continuation of what we've seen. So, um, yeah. Imagine had I known that at the time. <laughs> not really my style to, to do that to rant like that. Not my style to to scream into a phone. Uh, I was driving. I was on the way to work at that time and. It's funny, drove by a construction project and I, I had the detail police officer looking at me like I was nuts as I was screaming at the top of my lungs into my into a phone uh, as I was driving. Not holding the phone, but but uh, with the phone mounted, yelling into the phone, um, going nuts. But uh, that was all raw, uncut, one take. That is, you know, as honest as I can be, as natural as I can be. With that said, let's go into today's news. Okay, the, we'll start with the worst news of all, which is that Gabriel has been lost for the remainder of the season. It has been confirmed by the club Gabriel will not play again this season. Um, the Portuguese papers are calling it um, a entorse. Entorse means a twist of the knee ligaments. I've heard um, in some places that it's a uh, Benfica TV or BTV as it's called now has has reported it as an LCL injury. Um, in torse meaning twist. I don't know if that's a strain, a sprain, a pull, like a, a doesn't sound a tear is a a chaptura, uh, uh, I believe it's called. So it's not a tear and it it will not require surgery is what is being reported that the doctors believe that um, simply being off it and um, 
rehabbing it. We'll have him ready for preseason when camp opens in July. Very unfortunate. Um, and we'll hear from Bruno Lage later uh, about how he, how he, Gabriel, is so important to the, the way they play and losing him really, really hurts the style of play. It's going to be interesting to see how they line up this Sunday and if the mentality and if the style is as as high pressure without Gabriel. It's going to be difficult. Not many players can do the job he does in that sense. Um, also, in the news today, it was made official yesterday, actually, on the 4th of April, Raul Jimenez has officially been sold to Wolves from Benfica. And it's uh, it's a lucrative deal. It's worth thirty million pounds, according to ESPN.com. Um, it's it's a record. It's a it's a record transfer for for Wolverhampton Wanderers. He's the most expensive player. Um, and Dead Spends highlight is saying that Raúl Jiménez finally found a place where he can be the hero. And Dream Teams. Uh, headline says Raul Jimenez and Luka Jovic went from Benfica castaways to the most talked about strikers on the market. Um, yeah, I think he would have been a star this year. He would have been the hero for Benfica in this season. But um, either way, a good piece of business for Benfica. It's hard, you know, with our uh, with our fixture congestion and with our squad depth, you know, in question. It's hard to hard to get excited about a transfer as right there dream team notices two forwards we could be using right now that we don't have um either one of them would probably be very helpful in this style under this coach but that's water under the bridge and those guys are gone and we're going to turn a little bit of profit and hopefully this transfer will allow the team to keep as many players as possible from this team going into next season because i think continuing this rhythm and not having to start over in the summer will be very important and will really help us going into next season. Bruno Lage will have an entire preseason to prepare the team. As we said last week, they will be here in the United States in July. A lot of us can't wait. Uh, tickets went on sale this week, um, or pre-sale. They'll go on sale to the general public on, on Tuesday, I believe. But uh, a lot of people have, have already gotten their tickets and... Uh, they know where they're sitting, and I expect, you know, a lot of a lot of tickets will still be available for the East Coast games. Not so sure about out west, given that they're playing a, a team, you know, with the following of of Chivas Guadalajara. So uh, it'll be an interesting. Um, there'll be interesting develops developments going forward to see how these tickets go and if these stadiums fill up or not. I expect Red Bull to be a pretty It'll draw more than a Red Bull game, even on a Wednesday night. But uh, we'll, I'm really intrigued also to see just what kind of crowd we get here in New England, in Foxborough, um, at Gillette Stadium. Um, really not a great place to watch soccer. Um, like my father said, if, if I take him to that game, we got to sit up high on the second deck because the seats, the the. There's no there's no pitch on the fir the first bowl. The stands are very gradual, and if you get a large person in front of you, you don't see very well around them. Uh, whereas at the Stadio de Luz or even at Red Bull Arena, the the stadium is much more vertically built, and there is no bad seat. So we'll see what happens. I I have not gotten my tickets yet. Um, gonna hold off for a little bit. Um, 
obviously I'm planning on getting tickets, hopefully to both matches, but I'm holding off on a little bit. I got a few other things to pay for right now this month, so I'm thinking into the month, early next month, I'll uh, I'll get my tickets as well. Um, also in the news this week, congratulations to Benfica's women's futsal team for winning the, the Taça de Portugal last week, beating Sporting in the final, so uh, we got one on them, and... Um, uh, congratulations to the ladies, the Lady Aguirre, uh continuing their excellence and their dominance in the sport of women's futsal in Portugal, and on the home stretch now, ready to bring home the double and to win the league, and uh, we are all behind them. All right. Ooh. Lastly, some news that broke today that I'm going to talk about briefly. Okay, the UEFA Champions League may be changing its format soon. Okay, it sounds like the European Club Association, the European Club Association that represents most of the large clubs um, in UEFA, has apparently put through a proposal to change the format of the UEFA Champions League. And I'm bringing this up right now so I can explain it to you. And according to Sport Bible, who I heard, who I heard uh, break this story. This is something that has already been um, refuted, I suppose. The English Premier League teams are staunchly against this. The Premier League itself is vehemently against this proposal. But here is the proposal, okay? It sounds like the changes that the club association wants to make is to change the format from eight groups of four in the group stage of the UEFA Champions League to four groups of eight. Yeah, you heard me right. Four groups of eight is what it sounds like in the UEFA Champions League. All right. Um, still resulting in 32 teams, but it will be seven matches at home, seven matches away in the group stage. Um so 14 total group stage matches, which is added revenue for the teams that are in the final 32. And you can see why these big clubs want that. This protects them, um, brings them more income, obviously more matches, more income. But also, also, um, so it looks like what it's saying here is that the 24 teams who qualify from these groups would automatically qualify for the next season's competition meaning other clubs would have to fight for the remaining eight spots. This is the interesting thing. This is probably the most heavy-handed, most um, top-heavy proposal I've ever seen because this will essentially protect the Real Madrids, the Barcelonas, the Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Manchester City, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, Juventus, those clubs. This will protect them from basically leaving the Champions League because even from the way I'm understanding it, even if they finish 8th in their league, if they finish in the top 24 of the Champions League, they're in the Champions League again next year. Not sure how I feel about this. Um, this looks to me like <laughs> a early draft of the Euro uh, European Super League that so many clubs have been talking about. Um, also, there's some kind of promotion relegation battle here where you can be you would be relegated to, I'm assuming, the Europa League, and that for some teams, if you're not in that upper echelon, you have to win. You have to qualify 
you know, through the Europa League to get into and get promoted into the Champions League, which would, I'm not sure how this is going to affect, I don't think this is going to help the domestic leagues, it's actually going to make them less relevant, because once a team is in the top echelon of the Champions League, it, from what it appears to me, they would be staying in that Champions League so long as they finish in the top 24 out of 32 in that group stage. Um, I may be understanding it wrong, but that's how I see it right now. We'll have to see how this goes. Um, there'll be more developments, obviously, coming out in the time to come, in the years to come, because this isn't slated until 2025. But the reason I bring it up today is because this could affect Benfica. I've said in the past, Benfica needs to be at the table with these large clubs. Here is why. Benfica need to be in the Champions League, and they need to get out of the group stage in the Champions League. Okay? They need to be in that top 16 year after year going forward because they do not want to be left out of this edition of the Champions League because if you're not in there in the first one, it's gonna. from what I understand, it's going to be much, much harder to get into the Champions League after that. Much better to be there in the first edition of this revamped Champions League should it happen and fight for fight for survival every year as opposed to miss out on the Champions League and have to finish in a high-ranking spot in the Europa League or something, which Benfica does well in the Europa League. And you heard in my rant, um, I probably said that I could care less about the Europa League right now because I feel that way, but this would certainly change that if this format became became adopted. You'll have to watch this. We'll see how, where this goes in the next uh, year or two. There's still a long time before this would be implemented. The current format seems to be etched in stone until the end of the 2024-25 um, season, I'm, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, as, as developments become available on this, um, I'll be sharing them with you. And um, that is this week's news, everyone. I mean, there's not much else to say. We're going to get right into the match coverage. So sit tight for a second. We'll hear... Um, we will hear the goal from the game a week ago, Saturday, okay, about a week ago from now, and uh, the goal from Seferovic that was worth three points for Benfica, three crucial points, okay, three crucial points, must have, you know, must needed points, much needed points. There is um, a lot to talk about about this game. I know some fans are very upset. Um, just before the game, Big thank you to Dylan from the Benfica After 90. Added me to a, a WhatsApp conversation. I know that I've contributed very little to that conversation, guys. Um, I was unable to follow follow it during the game. I was at a I was at a barbecue, I have to say. I was at my sister's house down in Rhode Island. So I didn't watch the game live per se. I tuned, I started tuning in as I realized the game was still nil-nil at about the 60-minute mark. I kind of hid in the corner with my phone and started watching the game. Um, but I was following the conversation. Very hard for me to contribute given my attention is always elsewhere. And I'm always behind that conversation, but I do enjoy reading it. Everybody in there, big shout-out to all of you in there, okay? So many people in that, in that uh, WhatsApp group and it's it's great conversation all day long i enjoy reading it i know i'm not contributing much i, I apologize about that but um thank you for the invite i do enjoy reading it I, and i get a it's given me a better pulse of where other people are at and what other people are feeling and there you know there's a lot of nervousness and people are not happy with the performance i'm going to break it down a little bit 
a little bit for everybody. And I'll give you my take and give you an explanation, I suppose, on why these games are getting tougher as we go. Um, people, Some people feel like we haven't had a good performance in a while. I'll, I'll touch on that. All right, so sit right there on the other side. Um, on the other side of this chalat, we'll get into it with uh, the Tondela match. S sit right there. Exatamente, e o Tondela sempre muito seguro na forma como fecha quando o Benfica tem bola e como depois abre para a transição ofensiva, criando problemas ao Benfica. A bola está em Grimaldo, vai descendo lá para o lado esquerdo, cruzamento, tenso lá para dentro da grande área, o remate! what it sounded like on Antenna Ooh, this weekend. Anyone who was listening in the car heard that. Uh, that was the call on the goal by Haris Seferovic on his return from injury um, as a substitute. Very important substitute. Getting the game winner near the death. Um, and before we get into it, championships are won with games like this. Okay, I, Again, I said in the last segment... I know people are upset. I know people feel like this team is not playing well. These are the moments now where the league gets hard. You got one team fighting for a championship, another one fighting dearly for survival. And I do have to say, I have to, before I go any further, give a thank you and a shout out to Proxima Jornada on Twitter. Okay, It's a, an English language coverage of the Portuguese League on Twitter who explained to me the relegation battle that I had been confused about prior to uh, this episode. I said it before. The reason the standings show three teams being relegated this year and only two being promoted is before the season began. This I was not aware of. The Gilles Vicente won a court case which essentially automatically puts them back in next year's first division. So that is why only two teams are coming up from the from the Ledman Liga Pro and why three teams are going down. Right now Tundela fighting for survival. Tundela's below the line by one point, okay? And they're gonna give everything they've got in these matches. And there is a blueprint starting to be formed here about how to how to play against Benfica. Okay, we saw Bolognese do it, 
and we saw a little bit, we saw a copycat here from from Tondela to almost perfection as well so there is there are reasons it looks like Benfica struggling a little more it's not just the quality of play yes the play of Benfica has probably come down a notch but that had to be expected you could not continue at the pace they were going it's it's not possible to continue on that pace for that many weeks in a row and not have teams start to adjust after a while these are professional players these are you know professional coaches and quite frankly it's not that hard to play with two deep blocks of four okay with uh, two holding midfielders <laughs> at all times and play to counter okay which Tondela did well in this match and we'll go through the lineups and I'll go through the the minute by minute uh, roundup of what went down, but Tundela played a very good match. We have to give credit to the opponent in this game. This is a team that should not be down at that part of the table. They showed a lot of quality. Okay, they showed a lot of courage. They're a very good counterattacking team, and we were very fortunate not to surrender a goal a couple of times in this match. The starters, starting with Tundela, Portugal international Claudio Ramos in goal. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, Footmob gave him only a 6.1 rating, perhaps because he surrendered a goal that I don't think he had much of a chance on. But I thought he was fantastic in this game. He really, really kept his the uh, he kept that clean sheet right up towards the, until the end of the match. He really kept his team believing. And with every save, you could see the belief grow in Tondela and the despair start to grow in Befica. Very, very good performance from Claudio Ramos. The right back was David Bruno. Uh, the center back pairing was Jorge Fernandes and Ricardo Costa, the captain. The uh, Not even worth talking about him. <laughs> uh, you know, the one who after losing to Porto was, was, was hugging the Super Dragões and essentially celebrating Porto's win with them. Never mind him. The left back was Joãozinho. The, the holding mid pair was João Pedro and Bruno Monteiro. The three more attacking mids. Um, really, the three in the middle, it was a triangle of João Pedro, Bruno Monteiro, and Antonio Xavier. With João Morijo and Juan Delgado playing wide, and Tomane was the striker. Um, that three up front there, Morijo, Delgado, and Tomane were uh, were dangerous. They, I thought they they're given poor ratings again here on on football, but I don't think uh, these ratings are accurate. I think that these are a little bit skewed and maybe too heavily based on statistics and not enough in context of what these guys did throughout the game. Benfica's eleven. Okay, uh, Odi was back in goal. As expected, Andre Almeida was the right back. The center back pairing was Ruben Dias and Ferro with Grimaldo on the left. In midfield, our usual four-man midfield, Andreas Samaris with Gabriel central and Rafa on the left, Pizzi on the right up front, João Felix and Jonas leading the attack. 4-4-2 to start the game. All right, and when we get into this, I mean, Befica at the beginning were fan were very strong. They started very, very strong. The first twenty minutes, it looked like it was just a matter of time before before the ball was in the goal and we were gonna go forward. And we were, you know, it looked like it it could have easily been another another route, if you would, 
But um, as the game went on, it got more difficult, and it's becoming apparent, okay? You heard my rant about the game that finished a few hours before this one, okay? A, a certain rival of ours gifted in a big game, in a big game in Braga, one of our real hopes of them dropping points, completely gifted, whether it be by the referee or by stupid plays by Braga's defenders, gifted two penalties in a game that, you know, they surrendered two goals. And Braga really handed, between Braga and George Souza, the referee, this game was handed to Porto. Benfica's team was clearly aware of this because as the game went on and the goals didn't go in, or as the goals were going in and being annulled, you could see the pressure mount. You could see Bruno Lage for the first time is showing frustration in in his in his face. He's showing uh, a little more of a temper. He's losing patience a little bit. It looks like with some of his players, um, the Benfica, you know, it, gets, it starts getting harder to score. The goal starts to get smaller, and it seems like Claudio Ramos got bigger and bigger as the game went on, um, and. It's I hate to say it, but it looks like it's in these players' minds that everything's against them right now. And it looks like the confidence has been shook. The coaching staff, okay, and even the the board need to re, re they need to re instill the confidence in these players. We are the best team in this league. We need to know it. We need to shoot to score and not to shoot to not miss. And I don't mean that only literally when shooting that goal. I mean when we do everything we do on the pitch, on the field. We need to play to win because we know we're better. And we need to do things to take it to the opponent. We need to be confident in front of goal. Know that we can score. Not make the extra pass that ends up getting broken up. Put that ball in the goal, okay? We need to be behind this team also as fans, okay? This team needs to be carried by us because the refs aren't going to do it. The league isn't going to do it. Porto's opponents are not going to do it, okay? We need to do this. We need to get behind our team and push them through the finish line first. Okay, I know there was a tweet from Grimaldo. I actually didn't get a chance to read it. I... I'm assuming he deleted it before I, I went and looked. That upset fans, okay? They, these are the kind of things our rivals want. Whether the player says something he should have or shouldn't have, whether it insults fans, at this point in time, the players need to not insult the fans and upset the fans. The fans need to not upset the players. That unity that existed when Bruno Lage came to this team and everybody felt like, Bruno Lage gave us our team back. That unity, that intimacy has to be re-instilled. Re we can't let our rivals break that up, okay? When we're together, you know, todos juntos somos mais fortes, or juntos somos mais fortes, however the hashtag goes, together we are so much stronger. Benfica cannot be stopped if we stay together here. And we push this team through the finish line. No, I'm not trying to be a cheerleader. I'm not trying to be a fanboy right now. We're just in the crucial state of this season, okay? And whatever team is put on the field needs to be supported. 
Whatever players are out there need to be supported. The manager needs to be supported at this stage. The time to critique and criticize or the time to analyze these types of things will come at the end of the season, okay? Right now it's about one match at a time, one final at a time, not seven finals, one final. One final at a time doing everything we can to get the three points in that one match. That's how we have to take it now. We cannot play these games anymore about, you know, the momentum is not carrying us any further. Teams are changing their approach about how they play us. This game was clear evidence. We have the players. We have the manager. We have the belief. We have the support. We have the the fans. We have what we need to do this. The only thing we don't have is the referees, the VAR, the league, and Porto's opponents to help us. Okay, We have to be that much better than everybody else, but we have the talent to do it. If everybody else is 100, we have to be 200 or 1,000, as Runelage said last week, okay? So, right off the bat, Jean-Felix missed a right-footed shot in the second minute. It was a, a good shot that went just uh, wide. It was from the right side of the box. It was close, but it missed to the right on a ball that was played to him by Rafa. Uh, Tondela misses an attempt in the fourth minute. Um, left-footed shot from outside the box by Joanzinho. Uh, was high and wide and um, didn't trouble Vlakodimic in the end. In the seventh, another miss. Rafa's left-footed shot from a difficult angle was close, but it missed to the right. Jean-Felix was the one to play him in on that one. In the eighth minute, there was a blocked attempt for Tundela, right uh, a right-footed shot from Tomane. From a difficult angle, was blocked, and um, he had received that pass from Juan Delgado. And one minute later, in the ninth, João Felix, his left-footed shot from the center of the box, was close, but missed to the left. In the eleventh minute, uh, Pizzi tried a through ball, but Jonas was caught offside. We go now over to the. We'll go to the 15th minute where Tondela had another chance. It was missed by Jonzinho, left-footed from outside the box. 16th minute was a foul from Bruno Monteiro. And in the 17th minute, oh, in the same 16th minute on that same play, Samaric wins that free kick. Okay. Um, another attempt missed, this time by Tondela, by Chevier, left-footed from outside the box. It was too high. Tondela tried to spar with us early, but Benfica really, these, these, um... This description doesn't really accurately recall what was going on at that time. Benfica had much more quality chances, were really controlling play. In the 22nd, we had an attempt blocked. Uh, PZ had a right side, a right-footed shot from the right side blocked. Grimaldo had crossed that to him. That was a great chance to score. Uh, Gabriel's left-footed shot was 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 high and wide from the right side of the box. Um, that was given to him by Peasy. Rafa winning a free kick in the 29th and nothing came of that. We keep going forward. Tomane is yellow carded in the 35th minute and then Peasy caught offside in the 37th. In the 44th Okay, João Felix's right-footed shot 
from outside the box was close, but it missed the top corner. One of these offsides back here was the one that ended up in the goal. Um, Jonas was just slightly offside, and then he he had played the ball back to Andre Almeida, who slotted it in the goal. He it went, you know, it wasn't a VAR decision. I believe the linesman called it offside. The VAR validates it. He was one, literally, his foot was the only thing offside. Um, so apparently, a good no call there. Well, and. Benfica really still should have been able to do better with the opportunities that they had in the first half. In the 44th, like I said, João Felix misses a, a right-footed shot from outside the box. He missed the top corner. He's he's in a little bit of a slide right now, but um, the rhythm between him and, Se and Seferovic was obviously broken up with Seferovic's injury, and he's been adjusting to playing with Jonas and it just that's the, that dynamic's not there with him and Jonas. They're still figuring it out. Not quite the same dynamic. They're two similar players. Neither one of them is really the post-up, hold the ball striker, back to goal striker that Seferovic is able to be. Both of them like to run into the space in between the lines. Okay. Tondela's dropping their lines very deep. Okay, as the first half closes. They're making four, two lines of four. Okay, yes, they're playing a four-two-three-one, but that quickly becomes a four-five or even a five-four in some situations. Okay, the wing players are getting back. These lines are deep. There, there's no space between, and they're playing about five or six, seven yards. You know, whatever that is in meters. Um, Probably five meters. They're playing very. The point is they're playing very close together. There's no space for Felix, for Felix, or for Jonas to get in between those lines, receive the ball, and play from there. What we're missing is they're not pushing forward. Tondela is not pushing forward with their team, which is not allowing that space to be created there. So at halftime, Brutalage makes a gutsy decision. He brings on Seferovic, okay, for Samadish. Okay, he brings on a striker, takes off the holding mid or the, you know, the pivot. And at first glance, it looked like he went to three forwards. And I, I was nervous when I when I read this, okay. this He did this in the Tasa de Liga game against Porto that we, we lost 3-1. to one. We lost the midfield when we moved away from the, the, the system of play that we like to play that this team is built for. Upon a, a, a further look, that's not what happened in this game. Okay, Seferovic went to play high. They brought he brought him in because his ability, his speed, to stretch a defense and his ability to play with the back to goal while holding on a man on his back is able to hold up the ball and wait for support. Hopefully, to break up this this these, these deep blocks that 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 Tondela was playing in. Okay, Jean Felix was moved to the outside mid. He went, um, PZ went central. Okay, Rafa went right, if I'm not mistaken. I th PZ, uh, Rafa and Felix were switching sides frequently. But now Felix was playing much more as a, an outside midfielder and not in his best position. And that's also a reason that his form was a little down in this game. He's playing out of position for the second half. Um, he's able to do that job. We've seen him do it with a lead, and he's been able to fulfill his defensive responsibilities. A bit more difficult in this situation where the, the game is nil-nil, and 
you're you're dropping him to a position that's not really his. Someone had to go there, obviously. And, you know, when you're the manager, when you're the head coach, the mister, you have to make tough decisions, and you don't have time to just think it through all the time. Bruno Lage made a tough decision. He sacrificed a midfielder for a forward, essentially. Okay, Yes, the midfield was weakened, and I believe this was the opening Tondela needed for their counterattack, losing... That that double pivot, that true double pivot there of uh, Samadij and Gabriel, the way they protected the center backs all day, they've protected against that counterattack. Um, Gabriel now is on an island because PZ is not a box to box midfielder. PZ is not gonna be, does not have the lungs to go up and down the field. That's not his strength, and PZ was you know was pretty good. Okay. Um, more so on Wednesday. He was better on Wednesday than in this game, is what I meant to say. But he's one of, still one of the best passers of the ball we have. Problem is, he has to play further up the field. And that creates a gap in the midfield between him and Gabriel. And Gabriel was on an island, so we didn't get the best Gabriel in this game either, unfortunately. Um, who, the commentator there on Goal TV pointed out, was sporting new, new uh, or I should say rocking new... White cleats and he, you know, white boots. Excuse me, if if you're in the UK, um, white boots. He normally plays with the all black boots with no no trademark, no branding on them. Today in this match, he was wearing the white ones. But uh, his job was made difficult by this substitution. And early on, um, but if he could put the ball in the goal again on the in the 49th minute, when. Uh, at first, it was a clear, it, the ball was handled by Andre Almeida, but he was blocking his face. Um, again, I've said before, the handball rule and the offside rules in this age of VAR need to be much more clearly specified what is a handball. In my opinion, the ball hits the hand, it's a call. Intention or not should not be a part because now you're using video replay. Video cannot prove nor disprove a player's intent, okay? The referee still has to guess what the intent was, okay? And I think that's wrong. The referee should not be trying to to assume intent at any point in the game. I, we're past that, okay? Yes, the ball hit the hand, or no, it didn't, should be the rule. So that mo And it should be whistled right away so that these plays don't continue and then get brought back by VAR. That's the frustrating thing because players continue to exert themselves, there's extra contact, there's collisions, okay? Injuries can happen, all because the referees are letting play go and waiting for the VAR to make the decision for them. Okay, in this age of VAR, the rules need to be more clear. Same thing with, with offside. There has to be a concrete set rule on every field, every pitch on planet Earth. Offside, you know... Is it, is it the player's waist that deems him offside? Is it his head? Is it his arm? Is it his foot? Is it whatever part of the player's body is furthest forward? It needs to be clear, cut, set in stone. Every referee needs to know it and follow it because there's still too much interpretation, even with video replay. And it turns out that, you know, Jonas puts on a great, great bit of display, puts the ball in the goal, but the goal is called back. Nullified by the VAR. 
56th minute, uh, an attempt was saved, and it was saved by Odie Bruno Montero with the right-footed shot from outside the box, saved in the bottom left corner. And at this point in the game, you're really starting to see the the frustration, the the worry set in in Benfica. And at the other end, you're seeing confidence and belief set in and grow in the Tondela squad. Okay, uh, The 58th minute, Juan Delgado wins a free kick on the left wing. He's fouled by Almeida. Nothing comes of it, fortunately. Seferovic has a right-footed shot from the right side of the box blocked in the 61st minute. Tomane is subbed out for Tondela in the 62nd minute, replaced by... Sergio Peña, okay. Uh, Pizzi winning a free kick in 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 the the opponent's half, but nothing came of that. Uh, and now the substitution that kind of surprised me here. Uh, Peppa replaces John Murillo with Pete. Now, Pete, I should say. In this moment, in the in the second half, uh, Murillo had a Murillo, I should say, had a goal called back, clear offside. But again, it's another play where the referee allows the play to to play on. The player is offside by three strides at least. It's very clear. The ref, the referee's assistant, the linesman, waits forever to put his flag up. I mean, it's a one-on-one. We could have had a nasty collision between the striker and the goalkeeper. Um, needless. Players offside blow the whistle. What? These referees are just allowing play to continue and waiting for the VAR to make the decision. Finally, it didn't even have to go to VAR because the linesman put his flag up, but the ball had already gone in the goal. Uh, it, it's insane the way they are refereeing in this league this year. It's worse than it's been in a, you know, in a long time, and it's been bad. In the 70th minute, Bruno Lage, out of ideas, <laughs> starts to uh, desperation starts to show with some of, with the substitutions he makes here in the 70, you know, in the 70th minute. Adele Tarapt is coming back on, hoping to sprinkle some pixie dust on this and try to change Benfica's fortunes. He comes on for Peasy. I understand what the manager's doing. I see what he's doing. Um, clearly, at this point. It's evident that Tondela are well prepared for the match. Okay, it's it's evident. Tondela are not allow are prepared. They had the entire international break to prepare for this match. I don't know. Very few of their players are were out on international duty. Um, Morijo was, but and uh, Claudio Ramos, I believe, was with Portugal as the third goalkeeper. Perhaps a few other players were, but for the most part, they had the team intact for this break. They had all that extra time to prepare for Benfica, okay? What they didn't prepare for was Adel Tarapt. And that's why this substitution was made, okay? The crowd, this is the feel-good story, or an attempt at the feel-good story. The crowd is cheering. They're excited to see him back. And what is really remarkable, four years after signing with Benfica, Adel Tarap makes his debut for Benfica in the Liga. Okay, he comes on in the 70th minute. And, and to be honest with you, I thought he was quite good. Played very simple, but made good, simple plays, good, simple passes. Did not hurt the team, obviously. And did create a different look that, that Tondela was maybe not prepared for. Uh, brought some good uh, work rate. 
brought some good effort. Helped helped elevate the game. You know, PZ was having a tough match. Um, Tondelo were ready for him. They were ready for his every move. It was not his night. Um, he would have his night, unfortunately, in a loss a few days later. He, but this was not the best of PZ. But I think this was a good substitution. Um, Tondela counters in the 77th minute after a Seferovic shot from the left, uh, from the center of the box, a left-footed shot is saved by uh, by Claudio Ramos. Um, the substitution was made. Patrick came in for Xavier. Okay. And Befica also making their own substitution in the 78th minute. And I think this is on the same line of thinking as the previous one. Jota comes in for Rafa. Rafa, one of, well, most people's choices. Befica's best player this season is subbed off with 13 minutes to go in a must-win game. That is tied nil-nil. Um, again, all three substitutions were made in line with the thinking. Befica had to win this game. Make no mistake, a draw is as bad as a loss in any of these games now going forward. Unless the unless the circumstances in the league change, a draw is as bad as a loss. So I don't think that he has any choice but to risk everything in the final quarter of an hour. Um, to get this victory. Jota, again, a player I don't believe that that Tondela was as prepared for, and this is the thinking I think he's going for. And Jota also put in a good performance. Um, disappointing one for Rafa. I thought he was pretty. He was quite good in the first half, but he started to disappear from the game. Jonas had a header from the center of the box. Uh, Saved. He missed to the left, excuse me, in the 78th minute. In the 80th, uh, Patrick had a left-footed shot from outside the box, right right at uh, right at Odie, right into his midsection. He made a nice save there. In the 80th, João Félix won a free kick along the right wing, but I believe the cross came to nothing here. Um, but a corner was conceded just a few seconds later by Claudio Ramos. And nothing came of that. But then we finally get the play. Okay. 83rd minute. All right. Again, Gabriel plays a beautiful diagonal ball. Right on to Grimaldo's stride. Grimaldo carries forward a little bit. Puts a wonderful cross into the box. And it is the Swiss assassin, Seferovic, with the header. Puts the ball from the center of the box. He puts it in the bottom right corner. There is absolutely no chance for Claudio Ramos to get to it. The stadium explodes. Benfica have the lead. Six minutes from time. And at this point, I I gasped a little bit of a relief. And from the commentary team on Goal TV, you had the color commentator uh, whose name... I wrote down here somewhere. Either way, uh, it was his first. <laughs> it was Diego. Uh, it was his first name. I forget. I think it's Diego Tabarez. I'm not sure. He said it best in Spanish, and he says, "When Befica score, el público grita." 
o grito, I should say, el público grito. Grito no de, fest de festejar, pero grito de alivio, okay? Um, what that means in my bad Spanish there. But what he said was, the, the, the stadium erupted, they, they screamed, not of joy or of, a, uh, of celebration, but of relief. And it, I know I felt that exactly at that exact moment. I felt relief when that ball went in the goal. Uh, and the feeling of, well, we got through this one, on to the next one. Still, as the game goes on, you you had a foul there by Tarapt in the 90th minute that our rivals believe should have been a red card. I, I It was a bit reckless, but I think the yellow was consistent with the way the referee pl um, called the match the rest of the way. Um... Of course, the irony is Ricardo Costa getting in in Tarapt's face. Of all people, <laughs> a player who's who's had challenges, who's made a living off of tackles like that, challenges like that, and he's going to get in Tarapt's face for a hard tackle. Um, I thought that was quite funny, actually. <laughs> um, one of the Porto moles on these other teams, but... Uh, the game goes on. We don't get much. Patrick gets the last chance of the match. It was a nice cross from Joãozinho, but he hits it high. No chance for uh, no chance to hit the goal. The ball's way over the bar. Odi sees it out, and the uh, the match is ended. Benfica take the one nil victory to put themselves back top of the table at the time. Like I said, Porto have already played this week. They played today. They were victorious two nil. Guess what? They had another dubious penalty kick. Uh, from what I've seen, and um, yeah, they were handed another one, so at as it stands tonight, Porto are top of the table with 69 points, Benfica three back with the game in hand, Sporting with 58 points, Braga with 58 as well, a dead heat there in the race for third place, Morirense back in fifth with 45, Vitoria Guimarães 42 in sixth, Bulanis Saad, Code City, in 7th, 38 points. Santa Clara with a big win over Vitoria Guimarães last weekend. They got 35 there in 8th. Chihuahua, Portimonense in 9th and 10th, respectively, on 32 points. Maritimo, after winning the Derby da Madeira in a really exciting um, derby, a really exciting match there, a 3-2 win for Maritimo. Petit has his team in 11th place now on 30 points. Five points clear of the drop at this point. Sportivo de Zavs also had a victory this week on the road, I believe, at Riwav. They climbed. They're in 12th with 29. Same as Boavista, who are 13th on 29. And as you know, Boavista have already played this week and have already uh, lost. So it's an opportunity for Tondela um, Nacional and Stubal to either pass or make up ground. They round out the table. The last two are Shavs with 24 points and Fedens, our opponents, this coming Sunday with 15. I'll quickly preview uh, the match with, with Fedens right now. I'm going to skip around. I'm going to go to that before we talk about the Tasso Portugal. Um, I expect a tough game. I know I've heard everyone saying this one should be easy. Um, we're playing a bad team. That hasn't won since August, but like I said, they're not going to try to win this game. Fedens, listen, Fedens is playing for their lives, okay? Well, really, they're not even playing for, for safety at this point. They would need, you know, 
uh, at least 11 points at this point um, in their last seven matches to get out of the drop zone. It's very unlikely. Um, so now these players are playing for pride. They're playing for exposure to get on another team to get to stay in the first division. And they're playing for the Melita. Don't be fooled. If there's a result, there will be a suitcase with the with a nice bonus compliments of uh, of that team up there in the north, that blue and white striped team. Don't be mistaken. Don't be naive. This goes on in Portugal. The Melita is real. These and if you don't, you need any proof. Go back a few seasons when Vitoria Stubal had a chance. To cash in that Melita, but Arnold missed an, a sitter, costing his team the result. And the man was crying like he just lost a World Cup, the final World Cup qualifier, or he just gotten, you know, lost a cup final. That reaction was not because they lost to Benfica that day. So there's absolutely bonuses being paid from te big teams to small teams for these results. So Ferenc is going to fight for their lives. They're going to fight for that bonus. They're going to fight for exposure. They're going to fight for headlines. They're going to try to salvage something from this season. We need to go up there to Santa Maria da Feira. Fill that stadium, which I expect completely to be red. Okay? And push our team through to victory. Okay? This is not going to be easy. The Like I said, the blueprint has been exposed Ferenc are going to sit deep. They're going to do everything in their power to keep Benfica away from the goal. They're not in last place because they can't park the bus. So, Which is a great plug to my Podbean channel. <laughs> Go over to Podbean and search Parking the Bus. All right, Parking the Bus Podcast Network. Mr. Portugal is there. I got a movie review coming up. Hopefully in the next day or two, um, a soccer-themed movie review. Check that out. There's a shameless plug for you because of of the, the expression, park the bus. But, no pun intended, they're not in last place because they can't do that. They're in last place because when it comes time to win a game, they overexpose themselves because they lack the quality to finish. They lack the quality to score goals and to win games. They get exposed at the back when they play teams that they have the responsibility to get a victory over. That's why they're at the bottom. They don't have to worry about any of that. It's actually mentally one of the easiest games to prepare for. You're playing against the biggest team in the country, the most TV eyes, okay? The, the, it's your sellout for the season. Um, the players will be inspired. They will play above their level of what they're capable of, okay? It's not going to be an easy game for Benfica. Please do not go on believing that it's going to be easy. This is a tough pitch to play on. It's a small pitch, okay? It's not very wide. Space is going to be limited. Only further playing into the, the game plan of Ferez. <coughs> As I said, there is the absence now of Gabriel and of Rafa, at least for this match. Also, Jota scored two goals today for the B team. Which tells me that he's not going to be in the squad for Sunday <laughs> if he was playing today on the B team. B team picking up a victory, a, a good victory, 3-1 to one over Fadens. Not, not to be confused with Fadens. I'm hearing a lot of fans call this team Fadens. Fadens is in Faru in Algarve. This is Fadens from Santa Maria da Feira in the north. Okay, um, So I was actually pondering whether or not Jota would get a start 
you know, in Rafa's place on on Sunday, it, that doesn't look to be the case. So I'm going to guess that uh, Zivkovic has to be the option at that at this point to play that position. Um, you know, uh, perhaps Servi, but I would rather see Zivkovic. I think he gives more. He brings more to the table. And then, as I also said, Gabriel is out for the rest of the season, as you heard in the news. Um, I think this the time it has come. It's an opportunity for for Jetson to step in. That's my pick. Those are my two picks to to replace these two players. I'm so, I am picking Jetson to replace Gabriel. His game is more similar to Gabriel's. He has, you know, better lungs, better better stride. He's able to cover more space than I think Florentino. Florentino is more of a Samadhi-styled player, okay? Um, I really think Jetson is the guy, especially in this must-win, when we have to go forward, when we're going to have the ball, we're going to be attacking. I think we Jetson is the best option we have available for that position right now, and it's an opportunity for the youngster to make, to, to leave his claim and to leave his mark on this team this season. And again, like I said, left, I'm... I'm going with Zivkovic at this point, but it could be anybody. You never know what, what Bruno Elijah is going to do. But those are the two changes that make sense to me. A lot of people want to see Florentino in that position. I think him and Samadis are too similar. I, I'd rather not see them, at least not for the entire game, playing together. I think that's going to hurt us offensively. Or it's going to ask Samadis to be more of an 8 as opposed to the 6.5 that he's accustomed to being. I know earlier in his career he was an 8. But it's 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 not as easy as people think to just switch gears and to switch positions at this level. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Okay, we'll have to wait and see. I expect Ferru back in in the in the defense. You know, he was not used on Wednesday. Um, obviously, Odie's going to be back in goal for um, replacing Svilar, who played on Wednesday. So without further ado, uh, we're going to play an ad here and pay a bill, obviously, because bills have to be paid. But after that, I got a, a clip of Bruno Lage's post-game presser from Wednesday, and we're going to have to address the, the, the game and the disaster and the debacle that was the Portugal semifinal on Wednesday night at the Alvalish. Okay, um... I'm going to try to keep the emotion out of it. You heard me from emotion. I'm going to try to break this down into what happened and where Benfica goes from here. So sit tight. Uh, we'll be right back on the other side. Na, na, na construção é um indivíduo muito importante no, 
no nosso, no nosso jogo e não tivemos a, a, a capacidade de perceber em, em alguns momentos do jogo que o Sporting só dispunha dois metros cobre, a linha de 5 e, e nisso fizemos bem, empurramos ao máximo a linha de 5 para condicionar um, que os 5 mantivessem lá atrás com uma pressão a 3 e não tivemos a, Fomos, não, 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 não soubemos aproveitar o facto de ter apenas dois médios, de sair ao lado dos médios e depois levar o jogo de um pudor ao outro e jogar contra, contra a, linha, a linha de cinco. Não fomos, não, não tivemos, não fomos muito, muito fundos nisso. Por vezes em que ganhávamos a bola e saíamos nesse tipo de situações, o jogo parava e isso levou-nos a que não fôssemos uh, suficientemente, aproveitássemos suficientemente, primeiro, uh, o espaço no meio campo com só dois homens passar na largura porque a linha 5 estava encostada lá atrás, os três homens estavam à frente, fácil de fazer contas, só tinha dois jogadores e aí é superioridade numérica, nós tínhamos que ter, ter mais jogo, mais bola, infelizmente por várias circunstâncias não, não tivemos. Mas já está. And that was the Mr. there, Bruno Lage, uh, giving you um, his analysis post-game. And he said that they were prepared for that and that they, I'll paraphrase, of course, um, a translation, that Sporting were very quick to get into a line of five, okay? It was that the outside, the wingbacks, if you will, were very good at getting back and creating that line of five, five, three, two. But he said in reality, or five, two, three, I, I mean, um, he knew that Sporting were with the three forwards, uh, Luis Felipe, Acuno, Luis Felipe, um, it was Luis Felipe Acuna, yes, and Rafinha. They were going to press and they were going to disturb and shoot to not allow Benfica to construct their game in, you know, in the back third, not to build up out of the back. And he said that they succeeded in that, especially early. I mean, early Sporting were all over Benfica, um. I'll get into that in a second, but he goes on to also say that Benfica failed most in not being able to exploit the two-man midfield um, and not being able to exploit that, that numeric advantage in midfield. Uh, and he also said that losing Gabriel in the 10th minute obviously had a lot to do to contribute to that failure. Um, so I've got Sporting's, Sporting's starting lineup in front of me here. Courtesy of RTP, because FootMob seems to not have any information regarding the cup. I don't know if it's because the Federation just doesn't make this stuff as easily available as the league does. Who knows? Um, in goal, they had Renan, okay, across the back. Bruno Gaspar was the right back. Kovac and Mathieu, Jeremy Mathieu, were the center back pairing with Christian Borja in as the left back. The three-man midfield, as it was in the first leg, it was Wendell, Goodell, and Bruno Fernandes, the captain. And up front, the three-man strike force, um, which Goodell, uh, you know, Goodell dropped into the back line a lot and made it that five-man back line that, that Bruno Lage was talking about. But the three-man trio d'attaque, Luis, Philippe, Rafinha, and Acuna, okay? Um, Benfica. Started with Svilar in goal, okay, which was a surprise to me, okay. It was a surprise to me. I had said last week I didn't want to see that, and when I read it the day before that he was starting, I didn't like it. Um, 
I don't think it was the right decision, and I have to be fair. And as much as I'm going to, you know, applaud our coach and, and, and when, when deserved, of course, but when needed, and I do think this was a mistake. But I, at the same time, I don't know his reasons for, for this change. He may have had perfectly valid reasons. Who knows? Could be something we don't know behind the scenes. But he went with Svilar over Odie in goal. Um, also, starting Jardel after a long layoff over Fehu, who has been our best defender, or one of, if not if not our best defender, he has been right there with, with uh, anyone else since he's entered the team. Um, not really sure how that makes a difference, um, or how it made a difference. We'll never know. Uh, can't really blame Jardel so much for that, that goal. Um believe he was playing defense on that side. Would Fehu have been able to get over and help quicker? I, no one will know. Um, Ru, Ruben Dias also as center back. And the left back was Alex Grimaldo. Um, the midfield, we started with our with Gabriel and Fasia as the two center mids. Um, Fasia returning to the lineup after having last played in the... Europa League round of 16, second leg against Dinamo Zagreb. Um, then Rafa and Pizzi were the wide midfielders with João Felix and Jonas. No, sorry, with João Felix and and Seferovic starting up front. Jonas, I believe, went to the bench. Let me verify that again. Yeah, Seferovic started with Jerome Felix in the front. We went back to the normal, the uh, normal two-man front line that we got used to uh, earlier in the season, and and Jonas was on the bench. I agreed with that. Um, not a particularly good game for Felix. Actually, probably his 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 worst game that I've seen in a while. He was completely neutralized this time. Completely uh, zeroed out of the match. Um, and the first 10 minutes were were very, very difficult. I had said to myself, and I was very concerned about the first 10 minutes of this game, um, hoping that we could get out of this 10-minute stretch and start to introduce some panic into the, the sporting side. Uh, unfortunately, 10 minutes in, we lose Gabriel, okay? And while his injury in the long delay did seemingly at the time break up Sporting's momentum. Um, we also lost our 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 midfield shape. We lost our identity. We had no one to bring in except for Jetson. Okay, Jetson came in cold. He had no chance to warm up. All right, no chance at all. It was a cold night. They're saying, which ironically, I think they said fourteen degrees Celsius, which makes me laugh because I'm pretty sure that's t-shirt weather for us here in the United States in the Northeast. Let me Google that for you and let you know exactly what that game time temperature was. If it was 14 degrees Celsius. It would have been in Fahrenheit as we... It would have been 57.2 degrees here in the in the United States. In our, that's, that's springtime, I mean. That's short sleeves, shorts, and... Uh, but anyway, they, they, they considered it cold. They called it cold there. I'm sure the temperature dropped as the game went on because they play these things in the middle of the night. 
over in Portugal, they start these games so late, almost 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night. And then they wonder why there's only 34,000 people at the match. You know, it, uh, a small turnout for a match of this magnitude. Yeah, well, maybe if you played these games at a better hour, uh, you know. And, of course, I don't live there, so I can't... I can't say that, you know, I don't know what time people get home from work on average there. I don't know what time they get up on average. But it just seems late to me for a, such an important game on a, on a weeknight. You know, common sense would say weeknights games have to start a little bit earlier. I know Portuguese people aren't accustomed to attending games that early on weeknights. There's always been an issue with attendance in Champions League games because they start earlier. Especially early on in the match. Uh, I have no clue about the, the, the traffic conditions you know, in and around the Stadio Alvalich. But um, either way, on with the the match. So Jetson comes in, you know, without much time to warm up. And I think he puts in a good effort. Jetson played well. Peasy had his best game in a while, in my opinion. Um, he he was really good on the ball. He His passing was on point. He was distributing well. Rafa was also playing very well. Both of them had a good game. Unfortunately, Rafa's game, you know, is overshadowed by what happened in the end. Um, you heard my rant at the beginning. We lost to one player. There's no way around it. This sporting team has very little outside of Bruno Fernandes. Okay? Very little. They got some hackers. They got some divers. As I'm watching it right now, as, as Bruno Gaspar goes down like he's been shot when he runs into Seferovic in the, in the third minute. Um, funny, he gets away with all kinds of things and he goes down like a victim here. Um, really classless player, Bruno, Bruno Gaspar. That was proven in uh, the videos that, that, that surfaced after the match. He's the one. It wasn't even Borja. It was, it was Bruno Gaspar that ran in across the field at the final whistle, got right in Rafa's face and called him Ufiu da Puta. There's something about our rivals calling our players that. Um, and then, of course, the the, uh, the applause in, in response is what, is what gets, what gets, draws the card. The moron, <laughs> I'm sorry to say that, but the moron in the middle of the pitch officiating this match gives the card to the wrong player. It wasn't even Borja, according to Bala. I'm going to read this here, okay? This is directly from Bala, um, right here. I'll read it in Portuguese, and then I will translate for you. Um, the headline is As Palavras de Bruno Gaspar que fizeram o Rafa perder a cabeça. And I'm going to skip to the part where it says what. Okay, so dot, dot, dot. Perante a confusão gerada, demorou a perceber-se o motivo que levou o árbitro Hugo Miguel, ainda presente no relevado, a mostrar o segundo cartão amarelo ao Internacional Português, talking about Rafa, tinha visto o primeiro amarelo aos 64 minutos e, consequente, vermelho, até porque Hugo Miguel dirigiu-se depois à Borja, defesa do Sportingista, mostrando-lhe também o cartão amarelo. What that uh, paragraph says is that in the midst of all the confusion, um, it took a while to understand why why Ugo Miguel, the referee, still still on the pitch, 
gave a second yellow card to the Portuguese international who is referring to Rafa and a consequent red um, as it was his second as well as a yellow to Borja. Um, that was the first. The next one says, Só ontem circularam-se nas redes sociais imagem do movimento em que o jogador passa a correr em frente de Rafa, saindo depois o extremo a correr, disparando na direção do rival e empurrando-o. Já perante a presença de vários colegas de ambas as equipas, de acordo com a fonte do Clube da Luz, foi o lateral Bruno Gaspar e não Borja, que, recorda-se, viu também Amarelo, que, ao passar, ao passar a, corrente, a correr na frente de Rafa, ele disparou, chupa filho da puta, já foste, com, and I don't know what the C stands for, ok? Clearly, um, Bola did not print the words filho da puta, they used the acronym FDP. But what that means, okay, I'll translate this to you verbatim. This is going to be translated verbatim so everybody understands. Only yesterday were circulated on the social, on the social networks images of the moment in which the player comes onto the field, runs in front of Rafa, and then uh, running, and then you see the winger, which is Rafa, running desperately in the direction of the rival and pushing already um, in the presence of many teammates from both... Uh, well, colleagues doesn't mean teammates in this context. It means um, fellow players from both teams. According to Benfica, okay, so according to Club de Luz, that's Benfica, it was Bruno Gaspar and not Borja who, remember, also had a yellow card that ran in front of Rafa and taunted him and called him a, you know what, FDP, you, you don't need to be fluent in Portuguese to know what that translates to. This incompetent referee, I don't think he's incompetent, actually. I don't think he made a mistake. And I'm about to get into another rant, and I'm going to try not to do this. According to Benfica, they, he yellow-carded the wrong player. If that's the case, and I've seen the video, it's definitely not Borja running in front of Rafa. Okay? The two players do not look the same. If Sporting are going to say they're the same, I'm going to go ahead and not just call BS. That's, that's downright racist at this point. Because they, they, they do not even look alike. The only, they have one thing in common that make them, they don't look alike, okay? And I don't mean, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. They have similar skin tones. They do not look alike. Yes, it's from the back that you see the video, but it is clearly not Borja. It is not Christian Borja taunting Rafa. It is absolutely Bruno Gaspar who already had a yellow card. If, if it's a yellow card for each, that yellow card should have been given to Gaspar and he should have been out in the next game. And I still say that's not an even exchange because Sporting have nothing to play for in the next game. 
They're playing for third place. They're playing for a spot in the Europa League. That's peanuts compared to what we're playing for. This game was everything to them. They pulled out every trick, every stall tactic. They pulled out everything to to scrape by with this one nothing victory. What benefit is it to Bruno Gaspar to do this? In what interest of him is it to, after the match, taunt an opponent, get an opponent sent off? These two teams are not playing each other again. They're not playing each other this weekend. Newsflash, Sporting are not competing for the title. They haven't competed for a title. They've competed for a title once in the last 15 years. Okay? They don't compete for the championship. They compete for secondary titles. Because they're a small club that competes for secondary titles. Because they can't compete for the, the championship. They did once with George Zouge and they still couldn't finish the job that year. The only interest it is of him is because their, their little buddy up north needs the help. Don't tell me these two teams don't work together. I'm about to go off again, and I, I got to bring it back in. Going to get back to analyzing the match. All right. On Rafa's injury. That injury was not the result of a dirty play. Okay, I've watched it. I can't accept that that was a dirty play. I didn't see it there. Okay. Um, I've got the video coming up very soon, actually. I'm playing the game on my screen right now. And I think this might be it very soon. And I want to see exactly what happens here. Okay, and they're gonna play. It's right here, so I'm gonna play this. Oh look, Raf yeah, Rafinha reaches for the ball, but I don't think he he has any intention of hurting Gabriel on the play. The problem is Gabriel strikes the ball, is prepared to make contact with the ball, but uh, not prepared for the added resistance of Rafinha's leg, and you can see he's on the ground and, and he is in tears. You can see something something terribly wrong is going on here. Yeah, in fact, Rafinha's leg is already planted and and, and uh, Gabriel kicks the back of his leg. I, there, there's no blame on Rafinha for this one, okay? Um, it's very unfortunate, very unlucky, and... Befica have lost a hell of a player, and this has me more upset, more depressed, more down than the result of this game. Sporting can have the cup; they can have the cup. They're gonna, you know, it's it's their Champions League final. Uh, like I said, if Befica win the league, then Sporting got a match on their hands. But if Porto win the league, there's no doubt that it'll be a a <laughs> a rain check, if you will. It'll be it'll be a receipt for for uh, what will undoubtedly happen on the last week of the league season. When Sporting lay an absolute egg in the studio that they're going, they're going to they're gonna go out there and lay dead for their buddies, lay dead for their, their lovers up there from uh, from the north. And um, very unfortunate that, that it just seems like everything is starting to go against this team right now. 
Um, Benfica have chances in this match uh, to to put a goal in. Seferovic in the second half probably has the best chance of all, but it's on his unpreferred right foot, and he awkwardly hooks it uh, too far, and it goes wide. Also, uh, a real nice ball for in the first half from Jean Felix to to uh, Seferovic, but he just couldn't couldn't get anything solid on it. Went out for a goal kick. The defender may have even gotten ahead to it. Um, I've got the tape rolling now, and I'm going to break down. What I'm going to break down for you right now is Sporting's goal. Okay. Um, a substitute just went on here. Uh, I believe it was Diaby that just came in. And he, re he would have replaced, was it Rafinha? Looks like he replaced Rafinha. Um. Yeah, there's Diaby on the ball. It starts with... It starts with... Okay, I'm going to pause this back. The ball was lost, okay, in midfield here by... Who was this? And I'm sorry for the kind of broken up. It was... Rafa has the... Oh, is it Tara? It is Rafa who has the ball taken from him by Bruno Fernandes. It's passed around. It gets back out to Bruno Frunge on the right. He cuts left, and he puts it in in the goal. He cuts in. Let me see. There's a lot of talk about a mistake from from Grimaldo. And here, I'm going to play it from the beginning again and talk you through it. So, Sporting start with the free kick. They play it in towards, towards Diaby. He passes it. The pass is long. Rafa can't control it. It's broken up by... By Bruno Fernandes. Grimaldo takes a heavy touch. Bruno Fernandes peels around. Gets the ball. It's passed to him. He cuts. He goes on down the right. Cuts it onto his left foot. And he buries it in the in the short post. Um, not sure how much blame we can give Svilar on this one. Uh, I know a lot of people have beaten him up right now. Um, his positioning probably wasn't the best. But it was a very tight angle, and um, listen, this is, this is a fantastic player. I know he's quickly becoming a villain to us. Um, he he was very petulant in this game. For everything good that Bruno Fernandes did on the ball, he did something, you know, obnoxious or petulant off the ball. He was in the referee's face the whole game. It's in my rant. He had his hands on the referee. He was complaining. He was on the ground. He was crying. He was getting away with all kinds of fouls. But when he has the ball at his feet, man, this guy's magic. There were some touches in this game that just had me wowing. And the good news is he's not going to be at Sporting next season. They can't keep a player like this. They don't have the money for it. They can't turn down the money that's going to be offered for him. And you can see right away the camera shows João Felix and uh, the Benfica team looking at it, the body language in the Benfica team. The belief didn't look to be there on this night. And again, this is, I think, a result of everything that's going on off the field. So this team needs to get it together. They need to get it together. Seven matches to go. 
But like I said, it's a one game. It's a one game season, one week at a time. Because if you don't win this one, next one against Fadens, the rest don't matter. And now I'm watching. Here's Acuna smacking the ref's hand, pushing it off of him, holding the ball. Oh, he only gets a yellow for putting his hands on the referee, the assistant referee. Bruno Fernandes playing good cop now, trying to keep him away. And Acuna is going back for more, putting his hand on his throat. He is a lying piece of trash. There's no hands on, on the throat there. Yes, Andre Almeida goes down very easy on the play. He's hardly touched. Sure, the linesman calls it. He gets within millimeters of the referee's face. He's practically spitting on him as he talks. That hand is on the upper part of his chest next to his collarbone. It is not on his throat. Huge overreaction. Really, there's no excuse for putting your hands on a referee and for getting up in a referee's face like that and making physical contact with the referee. Ugo Miguel is a coward and he's a crook. Yes, I'm calling his character into play because this, this isn't the first time this has happened. This is not an honest mistake. And I digress. I'm back on the referee. This... I promise is not going to become the topic of this show for the rest of the season, but I'm going to shut this game off because just reliving it makes me pissed off, okay? I'm not going to break down any more of it. We know what happened, okay? It was not the best game for Benfica. It was not. I don't have the statistics in front of me because the source I use for that doesn't provide it. For whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be available for TASA games. Um, but what I could see, Befica are a bit fragile right now, mentally. It, they have. I hope that they have spent these hours since, these last two days, and they spent tomorrow rebuilding that confidence, okay? They need to rebuild that confidence. They need to pull together. They need to believe in each other, believe in... In the mission, believe in the system, believe in the manager, believe in, in in the goal scorers, in the defenders, in the goalkeeper, believe in the fans. That's all we've got is each other right now. This sounds corny as hell. I know it sounds corny as hell. But at the end of the day, that's all there is right now. So whether it's Tarapt on the ball, whether it's Svilar in the goal, we need to get behind these guys 100%, whoever is playing. The nonsense that happened after the game, I've already touched on it. Um, we've touched on Fedens, okay? This is the most important game of the season, I can't stress it enough. Thursday we have a Europa League game, which right now, in the wake of this result, and I'm still bitter about this, I will admit I am bitter. I'm having a hard time moving from this. It has obsessed my thoughts for the last 48 hours. I wanted to record this podcast two days ago. I couldn't do it. I was too angry. You think that that, that, that rant was something? That was what was left over after 48 hours of, of stewing and broiling. Um, we need that next game to take this this taste out of our mouth. Okay. In regards to the Europa League, I have a hard time caring about that right now. 
to me, that is a big training session as far as I'm concerned. Okay? We can't lose more players. We can't get more fatigued. We, all, we have to do better than 100% in these matches. We have to do more than our best. Because of the way these odds are stacked. I'm not making excuses. I'm giving reasons and I'm explaining reality. Not everyone has to agree with me, okay? And I'm not saying that we are not without responsibility either. That our players are not responsible for this situation as well. But this team needs to come together this Sunday. They need to get the three points. They need to rebuild the confidence. They need to rebuild the connection with the fans. Okay, we got two home games in a row after that. Stubal and Maritimo. Two teams fighting relegation that are not going to come out of their end either. What we saw last Sunday is what we're going to see for the next three matches before we go to Braga. And I can guarantee you when we go to Braga that they're not going to invent penalty kicks for us. I guarantee that. I guarantee when we go to Braga we're not going to play against 10 men. I guarantee Braga's not going to have you know, goals called back like happened in the Tassa to them. The next match is the one that matters. So, that is what needs to be focused on. The Europa League is what it is at this point. It's extra. If we go out in this round, so be it. We did well to get to where we are, given the, 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 the state we've been in. We, there is no other team in the Europa League right now fighting for a title in their, in their league that I am aware of. Let's go through the eight teams left in the Europa League. Benfica. Fighting for the for the title in Portugal, Villarreal, not even close, not even fighting to go back to the Europa League. They're all in on the Europa League. Napoli, light years behind uh, Juventus in in the Serie A. I don't even believe they're in second anymore. Okay, the Europa League is all they have left. Arsenal, their only chance into the really they're most realistic chance into the Champions League is through the Europa League. Chelsea, their only chance to the Champions League is through the Europa League. Neither one of those teams going anywhere near the title. Um, that's, I believe, six. Eintracht Frankfurt sits at fifth place, I think, in the Bundesliga. And the eighth team is Slavia Prague. And I don't know where they are in their league, honestly. I'll look it up right now. Um, they're probably in one of the first two positions. Maybe more so. They're more so in our situation. But, again, who knows? They could be a mile ahead. I'm going to check on that right now. But teams do not win their league and Europa League double. It just doesn't. I believe the last team to do that was Porto because they won the league by 20 points that year. Okay, or however many it was. They won the league by uh, by an eternity that year. Okay. Um, that was the last Europa League winner to win the, to be a champion in the same season. Okay. Yes, it'd be nice to do the double. We came very close twice. 
but we're not we're not deep right now. We're losing players every day. We're running out of out of options out of the B team. We're trying to win a double, and until Wednesday, a treble, when all our options are essentially youth players. Our options off the bench are essentially youth players in their first year as professionals. A player who hasn't played competitively for us in four years. We got B team players who are going in, you know, who are exactly that. Half the team's injured. And a couple guys that have not found any form this year. We don't have right now the the weapons to be chasing a double. Sure, we're going to go for it and I every game is a game to win, but the league needs to take a much bigger priority than it has up till now. I think there needs to be more rotation in the Europa League. I'm not my listen, my opinion's not popular. But if I'm in charge of this team, and I have a chance to win this league. Anything that threatens that, I need to remove. I need to remove that threat. And just just for uh, to stay on that topic, Slavia Prague are are ah uh, in first place. In the Czech League, seven points clear of Victoria Plzeň. Okay, they are in a. How many teams are in their league? Let's see here in in the Czech League. They're in a sixteen-team league. They play thirty matches. They're practically champions. So they can go all in on this Europa League as well. We are like the only team, really, not that's fighting for a title. Yeah, yeah, Arsenal's fighting for top four, whatever. Okay, Villarreal, I believe, are are fighting off, are trying to stay away from relegation. They're fighting for safety, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to bring up the standings in, or the table, I should say, in the Spanish League. And Villarreal currently sits 17th. One point clear of the drop zone. Eight matches to play in Spain. They're kind of in the same boat as us in the fact that they, they still have something, you know, high pressure to play for in the league. Arsenal can play top four, but even if they miss top four and win the Europa League, they're into the Champions League next year. So the Europa League takes precedence over that. Villarreal and Befica are kind of in the same boat here. Villarreal and Befica are in the toughest spot. If Befica somehow gets by this this round, it's only it, it will increase the pressure, but it, it'll be an accomplishment. And if we're playing Chelsea next round, I still don't want to risk it. Okay. Europe is great, but maybe I'm scarred from the that season. What was it, 2000, 
12, 13, 13, 14. The season where we were, you know, with one hand on the trophy, then we dropped points in the third to last game at home to to Estoril, lost at the Dragon thanks to Kelvin in the 92nd minute. Lost the league three days later. Lost the Europa League final. What, just after that, lost the, the Portuguese Cup to Vitória Guimarães. We went after all three fronts that year, and we lost on all three fronts. That team does not lose the championship. Okay, if not for the added matches of the Europa League, in my humble opinion. Had that not happened, we would have had the Penta. Of course, history may not have played out the same, so that's a stupid comment of me to make. But if the rest of history had played out the same and we had not lost that game at the Dragon, we would have had the Penta. I want this league title more than I want the Europa League. I mean, I was asked this on when I was on Benfica After 90s, uh, Benfica's Worldwide Show. And I said that I, if, if it was a guarantee, I would give up the league for the Europa League. Unfortunately, that's a hypothetical. And in reality, you know, the Europa League is a long shot. We have a much better opportunity to win our league, to win these seven must-win matches. Okay? Then going up there and eliminating the likes of a Chelsea beating a beating a Napoli or an Arsenal in the final because we're not Porto we don't get to play finals against against Braga we don't get to play finals against Monaco with before they had the money finals against Celtic we don't get to play those finals it never happens that way for us we play only big clubs in finals so if we get to the final, best believe it'll be against Arsenal or Napoli, I'm pretty sure. I don't honestly see that happening. Not with the state of the team right now. And it's not because I don't believe in this team, but we just don't have the squad that we need to take on that kind of undertaking. The depth. If. If. We wanted the Europa League. The only way to win it in my opinion. Would be to. Rotate the squad in the league. Which is absurd. It's absurd. We need to focus. On these seven league games. I want my team lifting that trophy. At the end of the season. Not the rivals that are being helped by everyone and anyone. And they have the nerve. They have the nerve to use the hashtag contra tudo e contra todos. For real? Contra tudo e contra todos? What have you been smoking, portistas? You're not a, there is nobody against you except for Benfica. You have everything else working in your favor. You have everyone else working in your favor. This is maybe the angriest podcast I've put together so far. It's episode 8. It's episode 8. And uh, 
think my point has been made clear. Like I've said at the beginning that I had to record early, I have a conference in the morning. It is 11 p.m. now. Um, always a pleasure, of course. Even in anger, it's a pleasure to, uh, to have this outlet. Um, remember, Twitter, at Befica Mister. Instagram, at Mr. Benfica. Facebook, Mr. Benfica. Okay, get the information there. Also, check out my other podcast. It's on Podbean. It's also available now on Stitcher if you search Parking the Bus Podcast Network. Okay, Mr. Portugal. It's old news now. Check it out. Like I said, this weekend, some I'm going to carve out an hour and a half to watch this new Amazon Prime soccer movie. Okay. It's called Kaiser, and I'm fascinated by it. That's why I've chose to do a movie review, something completely different from what I do here on Mr. Benfica. Um, it's going to be a movie review, obviously soccer-themed, because this is what I talk about. It's about soccer. Okay, um, the movie Kaiser, it's about a Brazilian professional soccer player who never stepped on a soccer field as a professional. This guy, I can't wait to see it. Apparently, this is a con artist that was so good at conning people, so convincing, and yet good enough of a football player, of a soccer player, to get into these squads, to, to survive training, to not be exposed to the point where he never had to play. And it's amazing because there were instances where where things... Uh, where it looked like he he had no more hiding places where he was going to have to play and used really, really creative and fascinating ways to get out of playing in a match. And um, this is a true story. This happened in the 80s and 90s in Brazil. There's appearances in the film from Bebeto, who knew Kaiser or knows Kaiser. Carlos Alberto is there. Uh, he coached Kaiser. <laughs> Um, several other Brazilian players from that era. I'm looking forward to watching it. I will tweet the link right here on the Mr. Befica uh, Twitter as well when it's available. I'm going to be doing a movie review. Okay, The series is going to be called... What the heck did I call that series? <laughs> Away from the Pitch is the name of the, of the series where I will review things that are not match analysis. Okay, I'll review some soccer entertainment, some... Movies, books, uh, documentaries, things like that. Okay, that's it for this week, everyone. Um, hang in there, guys and girls. Shout out to all of our friends, obviously, in the community. Shout out to uh, Benfica Podcast, Azagiish. Shout out to Benfica After 90, Benfica FEM. Simply Benfica Amador. Como está, amigo? Abraço. Um... Shout out to Cassette Vermelha. Shout out to to Pefica uh, in Ten on, on YouTube. Check out Cristiano and Alfredo's new YouTube series. Um, time added on ten minutes, where they discuss five topics. It's pretty awesome. Check it out. Okay. Um, again, shout out to everybody out there. All the Benfiquistas keeping it real. Be an independent. Keep expressing your opinions. Pressure this team. Do not let this this club, this Assad, get stagnant or comfortable. Okay? 
This is an important medium that we are all a part of, whether it's in English, Portuguese. Hello to Marcus Horn, who writes for Benfica Independiente in Independent, excuse me, in German. Covers the team in German, and there's now some French language articles up there. Okay, shout out to all you guys. We are all Benfiquistas. We're all a family. Okay, let's get behind this team. Sunday, we're going to get that result. Okay, I believe in this team. Sunday will be better. We're going to start a new string. Okay, start a new string of results. And this, the taste of this, this Wednesday night debacle will be out of our mouths. Everyone have a good weekend. Have a blessed weekend. Força Benfica. Carrega Benfica. Dam U37. See you next week.